And our passage we're looking at this morning is Luke chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. Luke 9, 10 to 17. On their return, the apostles told him what they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now when the day began to wear away, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowds away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set them before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. And let's pray again together. Heavenly Father, you are our provider. Lord, every good and perfect gift comes from you. You are the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Lord God, you are the same yesterday and today and forever. Lord, just as you provided for those people on that day 2,000 years ago, miraculously, Lord, every provision we receive comes from you. Every bite of food that we put into our mouths comes from you. And Lord, every spiritual provision that we receive comes from you. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are the sovereign God Every bit as much as the Father is the sovereign God and the Holy Spirit is the sovereign God. And Lord Jesus, we praise you for this display of your power. As you provided, and as you provided through the apostles. Help us, I pray, Lord God, to see how this passage applies to us to see how we are dependent upon you for everything, for every physical and spiritual blessing. Lord, help us to grow in our faith towards you for what you can do for our good and the glory of your name. We pray this for the building of your church. Amen. George Mueller was just a man. But the Lord used George Mueller to establish orphanages in England in the 19th century. In 1835, when God laid it on Mueller's heart to build an orphanage, he had only two shillings, the equivalent of about 50 cents in his pocket. 
But by the time of his death in 1898, he had received the equivalent of around $180 million through God's provision in response to prayer. Mueller cared for over 10,000 orphans in the course of his life. In the five orphanages, he established all powerfully and clearly through the Lord's provision. Here's just one illustration of how the Lord provided. One morning in the first orphanage, the house mother informed him the children are all dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat. This was a common occurrence, that they were just, they didn't have much in the pantry or much money in the bank. They, they were barely scraping by all the time, but their, their needs were always met. So they'd run out of supplies, and, and so Mueller told her to bring the 300 children into the dining room and to have them all sit at the tables. And then Mueller prayed. He thanked the Lord saying, God, we thank you for what you are going to give us to eat. Amen. Mueller thanked God for food that was not yet on the tables. But less than a minute later, there was a knock on the door. It was the baker. He had woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning with the thought that the orphanage needed bread. And so he baked bread that morning and delivered it to the orphanage at that very moment. But that's not all. Soon after, there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His milk cart had broken down directly in front of the orphanage, and he said, this milk, by the time I unload it and get it delivered, it's all going to spoil. Can you use some milk? So he brought out 10 large cans of milk. It was perfect, the perfect amount for the 300 orphans. Now, was this just a coincidence? Did the baker just happen to wake up in the middle of the night realizing that with, with the thought in his heart that he should bake bread for the orphans? Did the milk truck just happen to break down directly in front of the orphanage just at the time that they were going to need it? Of course not. This was the faithful God providing for his children. Was George Mueller a better man than you or me? No, George Mueller was a man in whom the faithful Lord worked in and through to minister for the glory of God's name. Now, I highly recommend you read George Mueller's autobiography. It's, it's full of testimonies how God worked in and through him, helping to develop Mueller's faith and helping to bring glory to himself. The children in Mueller's care needed Food, but they had a deeper need. They had a spiritual need. And the Lord would supply for many of these children through George Mueller in the same way that he had provided food for them. Many of the children in those orphanages, in the orphanages and the staff in the orphanages came to saving faith through the ministry of George Mueller. But it was the Lord who did it all. The Lord did it all. And so the question was asked, Mueller, why did, why did you want to care for orphans? What was your motivation to care for these orphans? Well, of course, George Mueller was motivated by love and compassion. But Mueller had an even greater reason. He said, when I began the orphan work in 1835, my chief object was the glory of God. He said, by giving a practical demonstration as to what could be accomplished simply through the instrumentality of prayer and faith, he sought to glorify God. 
And so Mueller cared about orphans, but he cared more about the glory of God. And Mueller saw faith and relying on faith as a means to glorify God. And so he believed the best way that he could glorify God was, was not to ask anyone for, for their needs except for the Lord. Mueller didn't tell anyone of, of, of what the needs were. He just told the Lord. And the Lord again and again and again provided for him and for those orphans through him. So Mueller is, is often lifted up as a man of faith, and he, and he certainly was. So I think it would be helpful for us to, to consider his definition of faith. He said, Faith is the assurance that the thing which God has said in his word is true, and that God will act according to what he has said in his word. He goes on to say that faith is not a matter of impressions, nor of probabilities, nor of appearances. So faith trusts God in the midst of difficulties. When things seem impossible, faith looks to God. Well, this morning we're going to see how faith looks to God for his provision. In this case, miraculously. I'm speaking, of course, of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, this is the only miracle that is attested to in each of the four Gospels apart from the resurrection. It's in Matthew 14, 13 to 23, and Mark 6, 30 to 46, Luke, um, 10, Luke 9, uh, 10 to 17, and then also in John chapter 6, almost the whole chapter is devoted to this miracle and the aftermath of it. This passage continues in the theme that we've been seeing. It's the revelation of who Jesus is. It was the question that was on Herod's mind as we finished our passage last week. And as he asked, who is this about whom I hear such things? Now, I don't know what's going on in, in your heart, but it, it, maybe it's the question that you are even wondering yourself right now. Maybe you have an, an outward demonstration of faith, but, but what is going on in your heart? Do you believe who Jesus is from his word? Now, in the next passage that we're going to look at in a couple weeks, Jesus is going to ask the disciples the all-important question. Who do you say that I am? ask you the same question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Peter will answer correctly in Luke 9.20, the Christ of God. Now, over the past several weeks, we've been seeing how, how Jesus has revealed who he is in his authority. We've seen his authority over, over nature and over demons, over disease and over death. And last week, we saw that Jesus has the authority to give authority to the disciples as he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal. Remember, he told them explicitly not to take anything along with them, but to trust God for his provision. Well, this week we're going to see that fulfilled miraculously. We're going to see who Jesus is as he wields the power to provide. This miracle is a living parable. As Jesus provides food, Jesus provides life. We've just, seen the, the, we've just seen Jesus' provision to the apostles. And now we're going to see Jesus' provision through the apostles. The apostles will see how Jesus will provide through them. 
Now, of course, in our last passage, we looked at the ministry of the apostles as they went around preaching the kingdom of God and, and healing. And really, Jesus was providing through them at that time as well. But now that's going to be made explicit. Jesus provides through the apostles. There are three key scenes in this passage. In verses 10 to 11, Jesus withdraws with the apostles to rest. And then in verses 12 to 15, Jesus teaches the apostles about ministry. And then in verses 16 and 17, Jesus feeds the multitude with the apostles. So first of all, verses 10 and 11, Jesus withdraws with the apostles to rest. As this passage opens in verse 10, some months have gone, have gone by since Jesus sent out the apostles two by two to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Well, now they return to Jesus and tell him all that they've done. This is like a, a ministry report. They, they recount what they've done and more accurately what God has done through them, the healings, the exorcisms, the proclamation of the kingdom and the responses of the people. And in that in that ministry, remember that we talked about that the, the apostles are revealing who Jesus is by doing what he did. Right? They're revealing Jesus' authority and Jesus' power and Jesus' ministry and Jesus' name by doing exactly what he did, by preaching the kingdom of God and healing. As Jesus intended, their ministry pointed to him. But the ministry also, as we saw in verses 7 to 9, had even attracted the attention of Herod. The wicked regional ruler set up to rule the one quarter of Israel by the Romans. And so their ministry pointed to Jesus, even in the eyes of Herod. Well, so now in the second half of verse 10, we see that Jesus takes the apostles and withdraws to Bethsaida. Well, Bethsaida means, interestingly, house of fish. We're going to see, that, we're going to see what that means in, in the fullness in a, in a few minutes. It, now, that, that, that Bethsaida is in the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee, still relatively close to Capernaum, but now outside of Herod's turf. This area was under the rule of Philip, Herod's brother. Now, their destination, it says Bethsaida, it was actually the region of Bethsaida. It was actually outside of Bethsaida, rather than the town itself. Jesus wanted to withdraw. He wanted to take a break. Mark tells us specifically that it was a deserted place and that Jesus took them there to rest after their mission because the crowds had gathered so much that they did not even have leisure even to eat. Mark 6.31 I think there's a little lesson in this, isn't there? That, that we see that human beings need to rest. Right? We, we understand that God has given us the Sabbath to rest. All of life is worship, but the Lord has given us a day to be set apart specifically for worship without the distractions of other things. Now, of course, for ministers, it's the busiest day of the week. And I can't really explain it to you, but there's even a rest in the midst of the busyness. There, there's even a rest. Joshua, I'm sure, could testify to, to the same thing, that, that as we serve God, he, he gives us the energy that we need to be able to do what we need to do. And so there's a rest even as we are ministering. 
It's also important, I think, for, for families, and this is not directly, uh, this is a, a, a tangential um, application, but I think it's important to, to, to take holidays on occasion. And I think you can get away with your family, and there's nothing wrong with getting away with your family for, for a time to rest. I think it's good, it's good for, your, for your family, developing your family, and it's, it's good for you. Matthew adds in Matthew 14, 13, that it was after Jesus had heard about the death of John the Baptist. So this also could be part of his motivation. It could be, he could be at least motivated by, by, by in part, grief over the death of John the Baptist. And it's, it's also, could be, could be considered wisdom, is that by going outside of Herod's territory, he was avoiding a conflict with Herod, at least for now. Remember that Jesus' parents had done this when he was, when he was an infant because of the threat of, of Herod's father, the so-called Herod the Great. So Jesus says in Mark 31, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. But when they get there, the place isn't desolate. And they're not going to get a chance to rest. The crowds had followed Jesus. Mark 6.33 says that, that many ran ahead and were waiting for Jesus when he arrived. They had gone by boat, but these people ran on foot and beat him there. So that when he disembarked from the boat, the crowd was already there. And even though Jesus had wanted to get away with the apostles to rest, he's not irritated. He has compassion on them, for they are like sheep without a shepherd. Mark 6, 34, quoting Numbers 27, 12, and, 2 and 1 Kings twenty two seventeen. 17. Jesus has never sent anyone away who genuinely wanted help. He welcomed them, and he continued doing what he'd done before. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed Jesus fed them with the word of God. Okay, Jesus is doing what he's been doing all along, and he's doing what the disciples have just been doing. This is Jesus' ministry. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. John 10, 11. Of course, the full implications of that will be revealed in about a year's time. Jesus is also the shepherd from Psalm 23, as we're about to see, who lays a table in the wilderness. Now let's look at verses 12 to 15 as Jesus teaches the apostles about ministry. Jesus, though he needed a break, he, he ministered all day. He was obviously empowered in his ministry through the Lord to do, through God, to do what he needed to do. And when, when evening came, the apostles came to Jesus saying, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. Captain Obvious strikes again, as if Jesus didn't know where they were. You don't need to instruct Jesus. Or even if some of us have that attitude in our, in our prayers, though we're, we're telling Jesus something that he doesn't already know. Now, of course, we communicate things to God, and, and, but we realize that this was the full implication that we're laying bare our hearts before the Lord, but, but these men were telling Jesus what to do. They see the problem, but they're saying the problem is too big for us. And it was. But Jesus sees the apparent problem as an opportunity. 
as an opportunity to teach the apostles something important. I wonder if you do that with your children. When, when a problem arises, do you see that problem as an opportunity to teach them something, as a so-called teachable moment? What if you realize that that is exactly what God is doing with you? That every parent problem that you face is God's teachable moment in your life. That God is allowing this situation into your life in order to teach you something. To teach you something. Well, John tells us in John 6, 6, that when Jesus sees the crowd coming towards him, he speaks specifically to Philip, and we're told to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Jesus has a clear plan. Jesus always has a clear plan. He is the, the omniscient God who declares the end from the beginning. He has a plan in all of this. This is a teachable moment. Very much in line with what Jesus was teaching them when he sent them out in the last passage. Trust God for your provisions. And when you consider that, that Jesus has just taught them that, and they've they just seen God provide for them powerfully as they continue through those months of ministry, it, it doesn't make sense. They don't get it. Jesus had told them not to take money and not to take bread, and, and they had not wanted for anything the whole time. Jesus is going to come back and revisit this when he sends them out again or commissions them again in Luke 22. They'd personally experienced God's provision, and that wasn't the first time. Peter and James and John had, had witnessed the miraculous catch in Luke chapter 5. They're doubting. This is a bigger test than what Jesus had just done in sending them out and telling them not to bring money and not to bring bread. This lesson takes it to the next level for the apostles. They should have known, they should have known that, that because of who Jesus is, that this would not be a problem for him. That should have been abundantly clear. And they also knew, didn't they, of, they would have known of, of God's provision through Elisha to feed a hundred men with 20 barley loaves and, a, and, a, and some fresh ears of grain from 2 Kings 4 verses 42 to 44. They also knew of God's provision through Moses in the wilderness in Exodus 16 and in Numbers 11. And so they, they had that precedent. They had that clear example of, of God providing for his people. And then they personally experienced it in, in, in their own lives of ministry and serving God. But this time, God won't be providing through Jesus. Because Jesus is God. God is providing through Jesus. And the lesson, that, the, the lesson they're going to see is that Jesus is about to provide through them. Jesus is about to provide through them. So Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. I imagine the disciples just standing there blinking at each other. But then they replied, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all the people. According to John 6, 9, there were five barley loaves that belonged to a boy and, and the boy was willing to give it to Jesus. But even still, it wouldn't be nearly enough to, for this crowd. 
And we're told here that the number, we're told later that the number is about 5,000 people. And that was just the men, Mark 6, 44. There would have been upwards of 10,000 people here, maybe even more. These two fish weren't 500-pound bluefin tuna. And the, the, there were small, likely, there were likely small dried fish, something like sardines. And the bread wasn't anything like the, the 20-foot Guinness record challah loaf. These were probably small, flat loaves. This amount of food wouldn't have even been enough to feed the apostles. And so Jesus tells them to give the crowd something to eat. But they can't. At least on their own. Sharing what they had wouldn't have been enough. Even going into town to purchase food wouldn't be enough. Mark 6.37 tells us that, that, that they, if they say if they go and buy 200 denarii worth of food, it wouldn't be enough. It would, so should they go and get 200 denarii worth of food to feed all these people? But, but John 6.7 says even that's not enough. That would have been at least seven months' wages. But this is a lot of people. And they don't have that kind of money. Remember, Jesus had instructed them to not take bread or not to take money bags with them. So this is a test of faith. And they fail. They fail. They don't consider the option that should have come to mind first. They don't consider asking Jesus to provide. So what Jesus was doing here was highlighting their inability to provide alone, but his ability to provide through them. So now Jesus tells the apostles to have them sit down in groups of 50. Mark adds, Mark 6.40 adds that it was groups, it was groups of hundreds as well as 50s. And that would make it easier for them to serve. But the question is, to serve what? There's, remember, there's still only those five loaves and, and two small fish. So notice what's happening here. Jesus is doing exactly the opposite of what the apostles had instructed him to do. They had, Jesus, the apostles had instructed Jesus to send the crowd away. And Jesus instructs the apostles to have the crowd sit down. The apostles' point made sense, but they lacked compassion. They lack the servant's heart. Jesus is going to give them, in a moment, an opportunity to serve. But, but more importantly here, they lack the faith to see what Jesus could do. And Jesus is about to show them. There's something else here that you need to see. Jesus is involving the apostles. Jesus is given the instructions through the apostles. And so... They obey. They, they follow Jesus' instruction to tell the crowd to sit down in, in groups of, of 50 and 100, and the crowd complies. Well, now in verses 16 to 17, Jesus feel, feeds the multitude with or through the apostles. Well, now with the crowd seated in the, in the groups as they've been instructed, and the apostles waiting and wondering, Jesus takes the, the five loaves and the two fish and he looks up to heaven and says a blessing over them. Now this was the normal way that a Jewish father would begin a, a family meal. He would look up to heaven, say a blessing, and break the bread and then, and then hand it out. 
Now, it's, it's not that, that Jesus, when Jesus says the blessing here, it's not that he imparted a blessing to the bread and the fish. The point isn't that the bread and the fish were blessed, but that he gave thanks. And that fits the wording that John uses in John 6.11. While Matthew, Mark, and Luke use the word that's translated blessing, John uses the word eucharisto, which is translated give thanks. Now this is also the word from which, which is, is sometimes translated eucharist, and that's the word that many people use to refer to the Lord's Supper. More on that shortly. Jesus was giving thanks, but there was no food in front of them except for these five loaves and two fish. A boy's lunch. I wonder if this is where George Mueller got the idea to pray for an orphan's breakfast when there was no food on the table. He was praying to the same God. Now in our family, we teach our kids to, to close their eyes and to, to bow their heads and fold their hands when they pray. I don't know if that's your practice in your home, but our, we, we say prayer posture and, the, and the, the kids know what they're supposed to do. Now whether they do it or not is another story. But, but there are all kinds of, of prayer postures in the Bible. We read of people standing and kneeling and lying prostrate. We read of arms raised and, and so on. But, but when we tell our children to, to, to bow their heads, close their eyes and fold their hands, it's, it's really, I've got to admit, it's more, more pragmatic than biblical. Nowhere in the scriptures are we told to close our eyes when we pray. Now there are examples of praying with, with bowed heads in the scriptures, but but. But for us and our family, we know that closed eyes are less likely to be distracted. And folded hands are, are less likely to, to poke a sibling or to start eating. But the practice of folding hands very likely comes from the fact that, that, it, that customarily in many cultures, to, to, to fold your hands like that is, is symbolic of, of begging or, or pleading. And so that's why it's, it's often done, even in our culture, when we pray. But Jesus didn't close his eyes. He, he looked up to heaven. He was recognizing that provision comes from God. Now, I'm not suggesting that, that you start praying with your eyes open, but you are free to switch it up sometimes if you'd like. Whether your eyes are open or whether your eyes are closed, remember that the meal that you are about to eat, the food that you are about to eat, comes to you from God. And unbelievers. Even for you, even though you deny God in your life and, and in your words, God is giving you food as well in his common grace. Be aware of that next time you want to thumb your nose at God. Now that your food that you eat might not be miraculous, but it all comes from God's personal providential care for you personally. God's love for you. Jesus broke the loaves and handed it to the apostles, and then they set it before the crowd. Notice again that Jesus is using the apostles. He's not handing it all out personally. He's doing it through mediators, through these apostles. This is, this is also a call to, to humble service, something that the apostles are going to forget by the time we get to verses 46 to 48. But, but Jesus provides and teaches the apostles about him and his provision here. The apostles serve as stewards, as mediators of God's provision. They are conduits of his blessing. Jesus is providing through the apostles. 
Jesus is ministering to the multitude through them. The apostles had seen the problem, not the solution. They thought they, they, that they had to solve the problem. They didn't ask Jesus to solve the problem. They didn't ask Jesus to provide. They need to realize that in order for them to minister, they need to rely on Jesus. Jesus had told them in verse 13, you provide food for the crowd. And now they did. This is an essential lesson. They must minister through Jesus' power and Jesus' provision. This is the lesson that's going to become the focus of his teaching all the way through to Luke chapter 19. And they're going to live it out more fully in the book of Acts. But Jesus, Jesus didn't hand out those, just the, those five loaves and two fish. He kept on handing it out. And it kept on coming. Jesus kept on handing the food to the apostles, and the apostles kept on setting it before the groups of people. The food kept on coming and coming and coming until they all ate and were satisfied. 5,000 men plus women plus children all ate their fill of bread and fish. It's amazing how far people will go in an attempt to, to deny the miracles of the scriptures. It really just reveals the attitude, their, their, their faulty presuppositions with which they approach the word of God. Friends, it wasn't that, 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 Jesus, that, that, sorry, that Jesus inspired the people who were there to, in his prayer to motivate those who, who really held, had food but held it back to now share it. That's not what happened here. It's not that Jesus broke up the bread and the fish so small that everybody got a little tiny morsel and everybody just felt full. When we celebrate the, the, the Lord's Supper together, when we have that, that little piece of, of bread and that, that little cup, now we would say that we're satisfied. But none of us would say that, that we are spiritually satisfied, rather would say that we are physically satisfied by that tiny portion of bread and juice. But not only that, there were leftovers. There were lots of leftovers. There were 12 baskets of leftovers. They had more leftovers than they had food when they started. Now, some suggest that these 12 baskets represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, that, that's possible, but, but I think that John MacArthur's suggestion better fits the context of this passage. He says that there were 12 baskets exactly enough to meet the needs of each of the apostles. Just think about it. Jesus, the lesson here is that, that Jesus was, was going to provide through them. They hadn't seen it. They hadn't understood who Jesus was and what he was going to do. But he said, I'm going to provide, and there's going to be leftovers enough for each of you. So Jesus provided to them and through them. Jesus would provide everything that they needed for themselves and for those to whom they would minister. This is something we're going to see in the rest of Luke and especially in the book of Acts. John highlights the fact that this miracle links Jesus with the prophets. He quotes the people's declaration in John 6, 14. This indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. As I mentioned earlier in, in 2 Kings 2, 42 to 44. Uh, well, let's just go there for a minute. 2 Kings 2, uh, 42 to, uh, 4 rather, uh, 42 to 44. 2 Kings 4. 42 to 44. 
here we have the, um, the sons of the prophets gathered, and, but they don't have any food. And um, Elisha has just purified the, the deadly stew. But a man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of first fruits. There's 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of corn in his sack. And so Elisha says, notice the same words, give to the men that they may eat. But again, the servant doubted. He said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat, for thus says the Lord, and they shall have and have some left. And in verse 44, so he set it before them, and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. And so, so Jesus is here linking himself intentionally with the prophet Elisha. We've seen that already. Jesus is, is demonstrating he is greater than the prophet Elisha. It's also reminiscent of what I referenced earlier, of, of Jesus, of God providing through for, for Israel in the wilderness, after in the, in the Exodus, in Exodus 16, and again in, in Numbers chapter 11, in, just focusing on Exodus, Exodus 16 for a moment. After the Israelites had been miraculously delivered from Egypt, the people were hungry and they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And so the Lord said that he would send bread from heaven, which was provided to them and provided them with manna that they were to gather every day except the Sabbath. And the day before, God would provide them with, with extra. But through this miracle, Jesus is showing how he is greater than the prophets, how he's greater even than Moses in providing for his people. He is not doing it through a mediator. He is God. He is doing it himself. And the mediator that he chooses, it doesn't come from uh, from, to a mediator, sorry, to him from a mediator, but he gives to the mediators his disciples, the apostles. So again, the fact that, that Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God also links Jesus with the king. And John says this in John 6.15, that the people wanted to, to take him by force to make him king because they wanted the food that he provided. They didn't really want him, they wanted the food, as we'll talk about in a moment. And so Jesus is here revealing his part in his role in God's saving activity, that he is in fact the king. And in part, the people recognize him as such, but they don't really get the whole story. So in this passage, we see that the apostles did not get the rest that they were looking for, but they got something much, much better. Something that would provide them with rest in the middle of the most strenuous challenges, the most painful trials. They learned to, to rest in God's provision. Not just God's provision to them, but God's provision through them. They learned to rest in God's provision through them. The task that they would face would be great. The, the journey arduous. The opposition fierce. Their weakness clear. But the Lord would provide to them and through them. The Lord would enable them to do what they could never do alone. Now they had just experienced that in their own ministry. And now they experienced it directly. So Jesus told them, you feed them. You feed the crowd. And they did. But they didn't feed them with their own bread. They fed them with Jesus' bread. The apostles weren't enough. And friends, you aren't enough. You aren't enough. The task before you is great. The opposition before you is fierce. Your weakness is clear. But the Lord Jesus is sufficient. Just as Jesus provides to you, Jesus will also provide through you. 
Jesus will not command you to do something that he does not give you the ability to do. Think about the old hymn, Channels Only. You're, you're a conduit, a channel for God's blessing. Channels only, blessed Master, but with all thy wondrous power flowing through us, thou canst use us every day and every hour. So through the, the work of Christ in you, you are an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. You are a sharp tool in God's hands for the purposes of building his church for the glory of his name. Jesus provides for his people, and the apostles are beginning to realize that Jesus will provide not just food, but everything that is needed for ministry. Jesus wants his people to consciously depend on him. Whatever is needed, he will give it abundantly. But the greatest need isn't physical. The greatest need is spiritual. It's not just physical bread that we need. Jesus draws a direct link between physical and spiritual hunger in Luke 6.21. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. You should be satisfied with the spiritual bread that Jesus provides. And it's so interesting how, how each of the Gospels presents this, this event, but each of them wants to, even though it's, it serves, the, the main point is still the same, it's still, they each have their individual focal points that they want to develop. And turn with me, please, in your, in your scriptures to, to John chapter 6, the passage that Pastor Joshua read for us earlier. From 622, and really essentially to the end of the chapter, Jesus is describing himself as the bread of heaven. He's, they we're told that this, that this miracle had taken place um, at, the, at the time of the Passover. So again, on our, following our timeline, this is, about, this is about six months or so after Jesus had set them out and one year before his crucifixion. So one year from, from this point, Jesus is, is going to demonstrate that he is the Passover lamb. And, and John, in, in, his, um, in, in his gospel account, shows how Jesus, Jesus is the fulfillment of the feast. He's the, here the, the fulfillment of the Passover, and he's the fulfillment of the, fulfillment of the, of the Festival of Lights, and, and so on. But Jesus is describing himself here as the bread of heaven. Jesus is the bread of life. John refers to this, as, this miracle as a sign. And so this, this meal brings home the truth that, that Jesus, that God in Christ can supply any need, especially spiritual needs. It again points to who Jesus is. It, in John's account, he includes this instruction from John 6.35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But again, this is not mere physical hunger. This refers ultimately to spiritual hunger, to the spiritual need. Jesus is the bread of life. Again, John 6.51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give, that I give my life for the world, is my flesh. Now, there are some that, that would say that this, is, this directly anticipates the Lord's Supper. And although that's, that's possible, I think that, that a better explanation here is that, that because remember, at this point in, in um, Jesus' ministry, it would, have been, it would not have made any sense. And, and also, notice that it, there's, no, there's no wine here at this, at this feast. This is, this is bread and fish. 
But, but I think more, I think a better way to look at this as, as what, they're both pointing to the same spiritual reality. That this miracle also testifies to the same principle that the Lord's Supper signifies, that, that we have union with Christ and receive, we receive the blessings of salvation through Him. But here, if you follow on in, in John chapter 6, the, the majority reject this. The majority reject Jesus. And, and, and you can see from the context here, I don't have time to go into it now, but, but that Jesus intentionally brings it to a head. And by, by saying, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, the people are offended and they leave. The same people who ate this, these, these same 5,000 or 10,000 people, the vast majority of them rejected Jesus and walked away. So it wasn't ultimately a testimony for them. It was for the apostles, to teach the apostles something. And so in this passage, then, we, we see that the majority will reject Jesus. No matter what Jesus does, in, in, no matter what miracles Jesus performs, people will reject him. The miracles aren't enough. And people try to just explain them away or just, or just put their, their fingers in their ears and say, I'm not listening, I'm not listening, I'm not listening, because they don't want to believe in Jesus. Because they love their sin. But this very miracle will, will be a testimony against those people. Jesus is going to refer to this in, in uh, Luke 10, 13, and 14. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But there will be, it will be more bearable for, uh, in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. What Jesus is saying there, so that, that what the, the Jews in Jewish territory in Chorazin and Bethsaida had rejected Jesus, but Tyre and Sidon, those, those Gentile places, they didn't have those miracles. And so that the te- there was a, a greater testimony, a greater responsibility, a worse punishment for those who didn't have all the information. And you are sitting here hearing this information. You are accountable for this information. Now you have not you have not received, you didn't eat of those, that bread and those fish, but, but you have heard about it here again this morning. You, you have heard about the spiritual provision that comes only through Jesus. So I wonder if, if you are here, if you are sitting here rejecting the food that Jesus offers, or are you sitting here like the majority I trust feasting on Jesus? Jesus didn't just multiply bread on that day. Jesus multiplied the apostles. Those 12 men, or those 11 men, would be enough to feed the people with the bread of heaven. Because of God's strength, because of what God has provided to you, he will also provide through you. So eat of Jesus and be satisfied. But don't keep the meal for yourself. Pass Jesus around. Pass Jesus around. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your wonderful provision. Lord Jesus, you didn't just provide us with a a miraculous meal that we would eat and then be hungry again a few hours later. 
But Lord Jesus, you have provided us with yourself, with the bread of heaven. And so Lord Jesus, we eat of you and we drink of you daily. You fill us up, you satisfy us continually. Lord, help us to be satisfied in you. And Lord, I pray that, that for those who are here this morning rejecting you, not just rejecting bread and fish, but rejecting the King of kings and Lord of lords, that you would grant them repentance unto life. Lord, we pray that you would bring salvation even through the proclamation of your word here this morning. Lord, far more than those apostles, I am woefully insufficient. I can't even feed myself what I need. But Lord Jesus, you have given me everything that I need through the power of your spirit. I'm confident that your spirit will accomplish that for which the word is sent. You will bring forth much fruit for the glory of your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.